With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to Destination Draft Day. I'm Michael Rockman, joined by Nick Durst, Brian Sauce. We got some crazy football content that we can get into. But first and foremost, I just want to say hello to my wonderful co-hosts, Nick, Brian. How are you guys doing today? I'm really liking Brian's shirt. Big fan. Uh, <laughs> Rumble was last night. He's got his WrestleMania shirt on. And here, uh, me and Brian are in the Northeast. Got a blizzard going on. 20 inches of snow. So. I look forward to showing that, uh, but hey, you know it is what it is, and got to just deal with it here. It hasn't snowed here in quite some time. Won't be snowing at the Super Bowl, though. we know that. With uh, being warm weather, <laughs> but Michael, yeah, I, uh, I broke the news to you that Matthew Stafford was heading to Los Angeles, and Jared Goff and a bunch of a bunch of picks heading to Detroit. And it's quite the deal there. I'm interested to hear what you guys thought won the deal. Absolutely. In my opinion, looking at the trade itself, I think it's a win for both sides. And I understand that that's a soft take because you're really kind of, you know, just not really choosing who really took one over on the other or whatever. But for the Lions, you weren't winning with Stafford. Maybe Goff isn't going to be your QB of the future. I'm sure he'll probably get the starting job at least out of the eight. But, you know, this team needed to rebuild. And as sad as it is because you have talented guys like Matthew Stafford, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, and DeAndre Swift now in the backfield, the team just wasn't winning. The defense had so many holes, and the offensive line still needed work. The team wasn't going to be a contender in any form or fashion. So the ability to rebuild and get as many picks as they were able to get from the Rams is absolutely huge for them. And then for the Rams, they felt like Jared Goff wasn't the QB to get them to the Super Bowl. So many teams sit on their hands when they find a QB that just is serviceable enough to where they can make playoffs and be all right. The Rams are saying no to that norm, and they're going and getting a QB that they think is going to win them a Super Bowl, and that is Matthew Stafford. Whether it pays off or not, we'll see. And in hindsight, maybe both teams don't win. But on the surface, it's hard for me to see this trade as as a loss for either side. Yeah, what's going on, guys? Um, I absolutely... 
Well, I agree with Michael because it is a win for both. It is a win for both sides because each side gets what they want, right? Uh, the Rams, I was quoted as saying that the Rams were quote unquote screwed with Jared Goff's contract. And, you know, in a way they were because the only way they were able to get rid of it was to couple it with two first round picks. So I think that the Lions actually did an amazing job here. The salary cap implications of having to pay Goff that much doesn't really matter for them because they're not in a position to compete. It's not going to keep them from getting other players that are going to put them over the top. They'll probably just play out that string and see where it goes. For the Rams, whether or not this deal ends up being worth it is really contingent on whether you win, right? Because if they win, it won't really matter how much they gave up. But the truth is that they feel like they're a quarterback away from winning the Super Bowl. And, you know, we talk about that a lot, and they really might be. When you look at their defense, like they might really only be a quarterback away from getting that offense to a level where they can win the Super Bowl. So if they do, we'll never remember how much they gave up. If they don't, we're going to be looking at them and being like, you really probably gave up too much for an aging quarterback that is a definite upgrade and a huge, uh, hugely talented guy, especially in terms of arm talent. But, you know, at the same time, they didn't give up those first round picks to get the next Mahomes, right? It's an, they really have a small window here and they really have to hit that spot for this to end up being the right move. I think that the Lions unequivocally won this trade. They get rid of Stafford, which they wanted to do. Now, they get Goff. If they don't like Goff, in two seasons they could cut him, and there's not going to be a cap hit there. Uh, they also get two first-round picks and a third-round pick. So if they want to draft a quarterback up, up behind the draft this year, they can, If they and have him sit again behind Goff. Or next year, if they like somebody, they have two first-round picks. They can go up and get whoever they want. And same thing the following year. So to me – I like it. Do I think Goff is going to be the long-term guy in in Detroit? I don't think so. Uh, And a lot of this comes down to, you know, people around you. You know, Stafford's had people around him at times. He's had Calvin Johnson. Uh, He's only throwing the playoffs. You know, Jared Goff's got double his win total uh, and Stafford. So we'll see what happens. Do I necessarily think that this makes the Rams – a Super Bowl contender? No, I kind of view them as they're in the same spot they were before the trade. Uh, but for the Lions, I think this is really good. Uh, you know, you bring in all the extra picks here. Maybe you find a, a franchise quarterback. Goff, you would think he'd be motivated here because he's going from Los Angeles to Detroit, and he's, uh, it's obvious the Rams did not want him. Uh, I think it might have. I think. I think I think Los Angeles overpaid, but they had to in order to to get Goff's salary off the books. Uh, you know, Rick Rick's saying basically it was it was an overpay. Um, and Glock says Anthony Lynn, an offensive coordinator with Goff at QB, kind of weird fit. Yeah, but I, I think Lynn did a good job with Justin Herbert. So maybe there's hope out there. Um, I wouldn't slam the door shut on Jared Goff's career here, but. Uh, it's going to be interesting, you know, Michael asked us on Friday, who do we think would be the first quarterback traded? Said Stafford. Stafford and Goff were both traded, so that's already two new quarterbacks we're looking at for next year. I still don't think Watson's going to get traded. We'll get into that. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think the Lions won this trade to get all the draft capital. And in the next three years, if they want to go get another quarterback, they certainly can do it. They have the, the resources available, and they could – 
let go of, of golf after two years. I just want to say one thing real quick. I think Goff is a fine QB. I don't think he's going to fall back to his Jeff Fisher type play, but I do think that getting Stafford is huge for this team. And it means a lot because McVay is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL and the offense was fine, but there were a lot of miscues happening between him and Goff where the frustration grew and maybe it wasn't resonated to the idea of Jared Goff has to be traded no matter what, but that's one of the things I think the Rams did poorly in this situation is instead of treating Jared Goff like a starting QB and maybe not even having to give up as much as they did to make sure that the Lions are able to take him, they instead kind of made it very obvious that they do not want Goff at all and then in turn are now having to pay more for him. I'm not saying that they would have been able to go out and get a first for Jared Goff or anything, but I do think that if they were to treat and present Jared Goff as someone that they are fine with as their starting QB, they probably wouldn't have had to pay as much. But once you kind of show your cards, the people at the table know what hand you have. So that's that's what I think the Rams – that's where the Rams went wrong in my opinion. But at the same time, I think this trade itself is good because I do think Stafford is one of the best QBs in the league. And in an offense like McVay's, I think they can be a legit contender. And real quick, sorry, I just I, – I read a story – that uh, both Sean McVay and his fiance and Stafford and his wife were both in Cabo during the time of before the trade. And then the trade happened and they met up there in Cabo and had dinner together. So interesting story. Thought it was kind of funny and felt like sharing. I'm sure they randomly ran into each other. I'm sure it was very random. They didn't know that they were going to run into each other there. Um, yeah, and you know what? Michael's exactly right. The Rams have made it seem like every step of the way, that anything that goes wrong for them is the quarterback's fault. It's kind of like the thing that we knew ended up being true with Jacksonville a little bit when they had Blake Bortles, where it was like, well, if they had a little bit of a better quarterback, you know, their biggest weakness is taken care of. Now that might be the same. It might be a little bit true with the Rams also, but they actually devalue trading Goff that way. Like they had probably gave up more than they might've had to if they did what Michael said and made it seem like, yeah, he's a serviceable quarterback. We like him. If we have to go into next year with them, we're fine. But instead they made it seem like golf is the source of all of our problems and we will literally give up anything just to get him off the team. And to Rick's point in the comments, I mean, it is purely based on whether they end up winning a Super Bowl. Yeah. It was a vast overpay, but nobody cares about what you gave up if it if it works and if it doesn't work we're going to look back and be like they took a calculated risk and that didn't pay off but i do respect that they're going for it and we do should keep in mind that the 49ers were another team that were in talks there and by trading for stafford they may have kept him from one of their biggest rivals in one of the most competitive divisions there is in the whole league so the rams are in a great position moving forward it's just a small window and they need to hit the target how about the fact that before they got Stafford, the Rams called up Green Bay and was trying or trying to get Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely Rodgers worth it. California. Yeah, absolutely worth it, in my opinion. You know, Aaron Rodgers has proven to be one of the elites of the league. Doesn't seem to be falling off anytime soon. Packers obviously had some issues with Rodgers in this past offseason where they drafted Jordan Love, didn't get him the wide receiver help that they wanted for Rodgers. So 
you know, there was a chance that they were willing to move on. And, you know, if Rodgers really wanted it, I'm sure the Packers would have at least looked into deals. They called, they saw what happens, and it didn't happen. But I think it was definitely worth it to call and offer whatever, probably much more than even just Stafford. But it would have been worth it. Having Rodgers with that offense would have been phenomenal, I think. Right. That would have been a huge difference maker. That would have ultimately made him the, the top team there. But, again, Green Bay, why, why would you trade Aaron Rodgers? And that's why I got to say the same thing of Houston Texans. Why would you trade Deshaun Watson? I said it all along. I don't think there's gonna, they're going to trade him. They have no reason to. They've come out and said we're not trading Deshaun Watson. And the player has no power here. It's not like he's going into his last year under contract. He's going into like his second or third year under contract of a five or six year deal. So I don't know, guys. I don't see any way that Deshaun Watson ends up being traded anytime soon. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I think when you look at Deshaun Watson, there is definitely reason why the Texans should do anything they can to keep him. I just don't know if it's going to work out for them to where keeping him is their best option just because I don't know if Deshaun is going to end up coming back. I understand that he can get fined pretty heftily and stuff, but he could also just say, oh, I'm retired and stuff like that. So he wants out. He doesn't talk to ownership. He doesn't talk to GM. He hasn't talked to the new coach. I get that they want him. No one in the league wouldn't want Deshaun Watson besides maybe Kansas City. But we're looking at this QB is obviously unhappy. And, yes, he's the face of your franchise. But if he wants out and you know that there's not really much you can do to fix that, then you should try to just capitalize on trades like this Stafford trade where the bar has now been set and you can say, look, if that's what's happening for Stafford, I need you to double it for Watson or whatever. And teams will probably be willing to match it. At least one will. So uh, you got to really try and push it. But it's ultimately up to things we don't know. And that's is Stafford or is Watson going to be able to be managed to where is the Watson situation going to be able to be managed to where they can keep him and he's happy in Houston? Or is this just a burnt bridge that can no longer be fixed? Yeah, there's a there's two aspects to it, right? I do think Deshaun Watson's going to get traded. Uh, he doesn't have the leverage. The team has the leverage, but at the same time, it doesn't really it doesn't really work serve the team's interest to keep a guy in uh, a relationship that's irreconcilable, right? So the the two ways that they would have to keep him is put a team around him that can actually compete, which they don't even have enough salary cap to do. In order to get better players, they'd have to cut guys with huge salaries like his, even though he's going to be getting paid only like 16 million on the cap hit next year. After that, it gets much worse, like 40 million. But, um, and the other way was to, is to just be able to build trust with him again, the way that the hiring of the GM went down, it doesn't seem like the trust is there because that starts with the ownership and they're not getting a new owner anytime soon. Nobody sells football teams. So He's going to get traded. Now, it's going to be on the Texans' timeline, and it's going to be for the price probably that the Texans do want. So, And that's going to be a lofty, lofty price. Who knows what team actually pays it? It'll probably be for a lot more than we've just seen in this deal or any other deal. It's going to be for three first-round picks and uh, additional depth picks. But I think he's going to get traded at some point. Maybe by the draft. I don't see why – the Texans shouldn't feel any pressure to make the trade. Uh, you know, I get the point he's unhappy, but 
Yeah, take it in the real world. If you're if you're a if you're uh, you know person under contract that's doing a, a big job for you, it's unhappy. Well, their options are they can quit or they stick it stick it out. So uh, just because he's unhappy doesn't mean he's not. He, I I don't see any scenario where Watson at the age of twenty five who's making what thirty six million a year is going to say I'm going to sit out this year and retire. To me, I just think Watson has no you know, footing to stand on here, um, you know, and I, don't, I just don't understand why, if you're the Texans, why you would do this this trade, unless you think he's going to cause major issues in the locker room or whatnot. Either way, I think uh, it, it's, it's, it's very dicey here, but to me, I don't see Watson being traded, at least not in the next three months. Uh, maybe, you know, things get wild around training camp or something, but uh, you know, they have no draft capital right now, so I can understand wanting to try to, to get get the draft picks, but at what cost? Uh, but also, I mean, I guess it's interesting here because, you know, Stafford's going for a franchise QB and two ones and a three. So what do you get for Watson? You probably get at least three or four ones, right? And a couple of it's a big price. Well- I don't. I don't think that it's really comparable because you're talking about the price that you had to pay for Goff was also because you are, you have to make up for his salary, but his play isn't worth his salary. Whereas when Deshaun Watson will be making forty million dollars a year, he will be worth every single cent of it. So you won't have to give up anything extra other than what the player is actually worth because you don't have to make up for the salary. So you think I know be traded for less than Stafford as far as draft competition? No, 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 not not less, but not like astronomically more because uh, the Rams had to give up more than they would for Stafford because they had to make up for Detroit going to be willing to take on the vast overpayment that, that Jared Goff is due because of his contract. The reason why Houston would, the only reason why, they do have all the leverage. They do want to keep him. Of course you'd want to keep him. Why would you ever trade anyone who's good then? But Watson, the cap hit only stands to be $16 million this upcoming year. Every year after that, it's one more year until he has a. There's a bit of an opt out situation, but he's gonna. The cap hit's gonna be forty something million, forty something million, forty something million. The reason why you would trade him before this upcoming season is so that you could get more, knowing that a team, the team knows they're only gonna have to cut. They're only gonna take a sixteen million dollar cap hit that's not even close to what he's worth. So they would actually give you more in compensation if you got him this year than if you got him before next year when you're a year closer to his opt out a year closer to him having that freedom. So yeah, they don't want to give him up, but if they can read the writing on the wall that he's not going to play for them, you could either play hardball back and say, okay, so sit out then and dare him to sit out. They could do that. Or get everything you can for him now because his value for you, if you're the Texans, is only going down the longer that contract goes. And it will be mutually beneficial to get the most you possibly can for him because once his cap hit is astronomical like it is starting in 2022, you're going to get less for him than you would if you traded him before the draft this year. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And there's clearly uh, some – tension going on in Houston and we'll see what happens from it, but we're probably going to be talking about this every episode until a deal officially happens or until the season starts. So I I look forward to seeing what happens, but it's, it's definitely going to be a while before we get clarity on what truly will go down. Uh, If I were to look at it, 
probably the best team is still Miami, and I think they're the only team that can really match the price fully because you're talking – I mean, they could give three first-round picks and only have to deal with that loss for two years. They could give Tua, who's a fine QB prospect still in a lot of people's eyes. They could give guys like maybe like Christian Wilkins – that is a young stud defensive piece, but they don't lose a lot on the defensive line. And then maybe like an Eric Flowers, where you can add in a starting caliber guard to Houston where they need offensive line help. And you overall improve the team a lot, <clears throat> but you're still not really killing yourself capital-wise. You should keep in mind that even though they still can't offer quite what the Dolphins can, and the Dolphins are in the best shape to get Watson and just immediately be really, really good, the Jets do have two first-round picks in the upcoming draft and two in 2022. So they have four first-round picks where even if they traded three of those in a package with whatever else, um, they're not completely keeping themselves out of the first round. Uh, for the next two years. So it's just something to keep in mind that if the Dolphins are dragging their feet a little bit, um, that is something that the Jets would be able to offer if they decided to strike while the iron was hot here. It really, dep- really just depends on what the Texans want. Do they want to go with Tua? Then they'll take the package from Miami. Do they want to draft Wilson? Then they would make the trade with the Jets. But you know, I think I think we can't rule out other teams as well. You know, I think a lot of people are going to be willing to give up a lot. Uh, does lever does does Watson have the leverage to turn where he goes? Definitely not. You might want to want to force your way out, but you, if they're going to say you're going to Miami, he's like, I want to go to the Jets. Uh, he's out of luck. I'm sorry. Uh, now, this Rick says they can get Miami pick on Fields. To me, I don't know if that works because. I don't see how they're trading with Miami and then they're going to draft a quarterback. I would think they'd be taking Tua. Uh, Michael, what would the Dolphins do if they – they because that that, that that sense doesn't make sense because they're going to draft Fields with the Miami pick. Why wouldn't, wouldn't they just trade to the Jets to get the number two pick so they could definitely get Fields? Um, could you envision a scenario where the Dolphins are trading for Watson but they're not including Tua and then what do they do with Tua? I mean, it'd be clear that Tua would be on the trade block, and I assume that the Texans would still take him and just look to flip him one more time, possibly get like a uh, a little bit later pick than what they were getting from the Dolphins. But I think they would maybe be able to flip that and get another solid pick in return. Maybe maybe we're talking in the Rosen range, but I assume it'd be higher and, and a little bit better value just because – you know, two is not as written off as Rosen seemed to be. So I don't know what the exact value would be, but I do think that if if they felt like, okay, we'll take two just because he's a good trade chip, then they could very easily go QB. But yeah, I think the Jets package would be more enticing if they're not really sold on two and they want to have their own choice of anyone but Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I think if, if they're going to draft a quarterback, then they're going to tra- they would trade with the Jets. Uh, unless the Dolphins are going to throw in, you know, like you mentioned before, some really gifted offensive talent, the guys or something, or, you know, some crazy player. Uh, again, this is, this is a storyline that won't go away until either the season starts or it, it gets done. Uh, but a lot of teams will want Watson. Um, you know, Brian touched on it, but Michael, what do you, what do you think the 
amount of draft picks you're looking at here to trade for Watson? I think it will be three or four first-round draft picks. I think if you're offering star players with it, it'll be three. If you're offering a package that's pretty much solely draft picks and you're looking at four and uh, it's not lovely to hear that. A lot of teams are going to hear that and say, Oh geez, like I don't want to give all my draft picks away and maybe they'll back out because the price is too high. But I guarantee you the highest bidder is either going to be three first round draft picks and a very talented player or two, or it's going to be four first round draft picks and probably still some extra to go along with that. I know where we can move on. We can talk about this forever. But the one thing I'll say is that Watson's only bit of leverage is his no trade clause. So if Watson is willing, while he's still not making the maximum amount that his contract's going to allow, this is his last year of being vastly underpaid. If he's willing to play this hardball thing where he's going to take those fines, Nick, that you were talking about for missed practices and missed games, where to us, it's an astronomical amount of money every single week. But to Deshaun Watson, who knows that once he eventually does get traded and get a next contract is going to make all that money back, if he hypothetically was willing to wait this out a little bit and play hardball with not showing up, well, he that's to answer Rick's question, that's exactly how he's going to be able to determine where he goes. Because there's only a select number of teams then he'll remove the no trade clause for, and he'll tell them, trade me to one of these three places that I want to go or I'm going to be sitting out this upcoming season. And then it's going to get to the point where they have to get something for him. So if he's willing to wait them out, he'll slowly take the leverage back. Right now, it sits with the Texans, but he does have the no trade clause. It's what he's got in his corner right now. Well, we've only seen one player ever sit out, maybe on Bell. So it ended up backfiring for him, but... Uh, you know, it's going to be a hoop links first scenario. So it's a staring contest. Uh, Michael, you see any possibility that Watson could be anywhere other than Houston, the Jets, or the Dolphins next year? I think there will be teams that are willing to offer a lot. But in terms of how much teams value having these early picks, it will be hard to really see what teams like, let's say, 49ers or Patriots are involved they're going to have to offer a lot more just because they aren't offering a top five pick. So it's tough to see teams beating these offers, but if they do, it'll have to be by a very wide margin because you're trying to sell these teams on, Hey, you know, these picks are probably going to be mid round first and then a bunch of late firsts. So I don't know. It's tough to really say like, this is definitely going to be the trade that you should take when you're, doing that without also tanking how many firsts you have and you're looking at, you know, losing your first until the next decade where we're in 2030 and you're finally well, able to Jared Goff is the last Rams draft pick in the first round, so they don't care anymore. How about the Lions if they trade this year's first-round pick, two first-round picks next year, and two first-round picks the final year, plus Jared Goff for Deshaun Watson? Does that get done? Uh, I don't know. Watson will never will never waive his no trade clause to go to Detroit. I I'm living on this fortune. When does he have a no trade clause kicking in? I'd have to look it up, but I know that he has one. Okay. Anyway, like we said multiple times, we could talk about this all day. So we're gonna move on. We he already has from... it. Oh, he already has. It. Yeah. So he already has it. He already has one. 
We're gonna we're gonna move on to the senior bowl coverage. A huge week and a huge platform, especially with an offseason that doesn't offer an official combine. The senior bowl is the best opportunity this offseason to really prove what you have outside of maybe pro days. And so for the senior bowl, there were five guys that really stepped up and had a great performance. And we're gonna talk about that right here. Looking at it, we're going to first go with Mac Jones, the quarterback out of Alabama. In this Senior Bowl opportunity, a lot of people wanted him to establish himself as the best QB on the field at all times. Day one, he came out. There were a lot of misfires. I don't know if it's miscommunications or just struggles on Mac Jones. I didn't really get clarity on that situation. But the following days, every single day after that, it was clear he was the best QB there in Mobile, Alabama. Mac Jones had to step up and prove himself with a strong week of play to really warrant potentially becoming a first-round pick in this draft. And now I think due to this week and due to his strong play, he is safely in the first-round conversation, huge for him and huge for his pockets. Looking at it for the next guy, Amari Rogers. There's been a lot of talks of wide receivers at this Senior Bowl day, whether it's Kadarius Toney and Cornell Powell and other guys as well. But the one guy that stood out to me more than anyone was Amari Rogers. He was bursting around the field, looked more explosive than anyone. He is a stout receiver, offering almost a running back-like stature. You know, if you're looking at guys like Ty Montgomery, Quincy Inunua, that's the type of player you're looking at with Amari Rogers. And while he's not going to be picked until round, round three or round four, he's still going to be very valuable for teams. And he could very easily be a gadget-type player or slot receiver that comes into an offense and is an immediate contributor because of his physicality and quickness in his routes. The next winner of the week is Chauncey Golston, 6'5", 285. He is an absolute monster of a defensive end, and then they had him move inside the five-tech, and he continued to dominate. Golston has not really built up a huge draft stock in this class. He was a late invite because of opt-outs or de- – declined invites or injuries that ended up having them missed. So Golston was a late add to the senior bowl and he proved absolutely that he belongs now looking at it. I'd say it would be hard for me not to think that this guy will at least be gone in the fourth round because he offers so much upside. A player that you can kind of think of when you're thinking about Chauncey Golston is Trey flowers, a Detroit lions defensive end who was also on the Patriots. He's not really ever going to be the sack leader in the NFL, but he's still going to rack up some nice sacks some nice pressures, but his best part of his game is just his play strength and his ability to set the edge. And Chauncey Golston did that wonderfully. The next winner of the week is Osa Adigizua, the edge rusher out of UCLA, another strong build guy that had played edge and five tech during his week in mobile looking at Osa, you know, there's so much love, but the fact is he was quick with his swim moves. He was speedy off the edge and dominant up the middle, really controlling the line. It was a huge week for five techs. You know, there were other guys that also did well. Peyton Turner, another one. But Osa was arguably the best defensive player in this in this week of football and maybe the top player overall with how strongly he played through all the drills and even in the game. And for the last winner of the week, we got Richie Grant, the safety out of Central Florida. When you look at Richie Grant, you think, okay, This guy is solid framed, but what can he do on the field? And on the field, he does everything. Whether you need him to play slot, 
whether you need to play outside corner, whether you need to play free safety as an actual position, or whether you need to play strong safety. He can do it all. He can even blitz if you need him to. Richie Grant is a round one player in my eyes. I don't know if he actually goes there on draft day, but I expect him to sneak into the first round because this guy is just absolutely so talented and NFL teams need to take notice because this guy is going to be someone that whether he's picked round one, round two, round three, whatever, we're going to look back and say, wow, this guy is an immediate contributor, one of the best rookies out the gate, and he's going to be a star in the league. So these are the five winners of the Senior Bowl, top performers, absolutely dominant players. Huge for anyone to have a big week. There are plenty of other guys that also improve their stock, but these are the five that I felt like most stood out and had a big week. So Mac Jones, a lot of rumors right now, Michael, that the Patriots are going to try to target him with their first-round pick. Do you think that Mac Jones is, is going to be available at that point? Uh, or do you, you know, it seems like he's going to go in the first round here. So what, what, what teams do you think could potentially be targeting him uh, in, the, in the first round? I think Patriots could definitely be a possible landing spot. I think there's a chance that we could see him go to a team like the Steelers or like the Saints as well. But ultimately, it really just depends on landing spot for how he does in the NFL. Uh, a lot of comparisons I've heard is like a Kirk Cousins, where he's not going to wow you with his mobile uh, play, but he's still a very strong passer. And despite the limited mobility, he is going to overcome and give you smart smart play at the quarterback position. Having a starter that is that quality is huge. I understand a lot of people hear Kirk Cousins and they kind of, you know, maybe roll their eyes as a ceiling for a QB, but I don't think that's a ceiling. I think that's just a type of play that he matches. We can see a pocket passer in the NFL have success and dominate. It's just right now a lot of the top guys are very mobile and we have kind of written off the idea of guys that aren't as mobile to find success in the NFL. But there are still very much talented options that are just pocket passers. I mean, even Tom Brady at 40 is a phenomenal pocket passer with no mobility. And, yes, he's fallen off a bit, but he would still succeed in the league if he were in his prime, and he's still succeeding in the league at his age right now. So I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to be Brady. Obviously, that's an insane bar to set on anyone. But I'm just saying just because Mac Jones isn't your typical – you know, run a four six and also throw the ball 80 yards downfield type QB. He still has shown plenty on tape to where you can believe in this guy to be your starting QB. And the playoff success is kind of independent for each QB. So just because teams aren't winning with guys like, you know, Kirk Cousins or Jared Goff or whatever, it doesn't mean that they just won't win with Mac Jones because he very much could find success in the NFL playoffs. Rick wants to know if Jones is good showing at the Senior Bowl. Well, clips the upside of Trey Lance and see Matt go before Trey. Uh, do you think there's going to be five quarterbacks taken in the first round as well, Michael, with Jones, Trey Lance, Wilson, Fields, and Trevor Lawrence, or could we potentially see more than five quarterbacks in the first round? I think five is the number I'm sturdy on. I'd say five exactly. And I think Lance goes ahead of Matt Jones just because the trends of – Raw quarterbacks who have so much potential has paid off phenomenally. I mean, you're looking at guys like Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, who both came into the league with 
raw arm strength and solid mobility, but there were still questions about how their game would develop in the NFL. And then these teams come in, they make the offense easy for their quarterbacks. They work with them. They make things, you know, play catered to their strengths. And then they end up thriving. So I think Trey Lance, just because the ceiling is still very certainly going to go ahead of Mac Jones, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mac Jones still goes in the first half of the draft, especially right there at 15 with New England Patriots. All right. So senior bowl, I got to ask you about top rated quarterback four years ago when you came into college, Sam Ellering. What did you think about his performance at the senior bowl? And where can we see him potentially being drafted? So, yeah, Sam Ellinger is a fine QB for the college level. I don't think that his skills entirely translate to the NFL. He could be a potential guy that's looked at as a backup, but I think ultimately his best option is to go to tight end or fullback and try to make it work there. I don't think that his QB play is good enough to really thrive at the next level unless it's just you know being used as a – backup sub package type type guy that kind of does his QB draw type thing. And also, you know, will come in and throw a few passes, but never too many. I, I don't think his arm is good enough right now to where I'd be confident in putting him out there as QB or even bring him in as a QB that I hope to take over the starting job later on. And what did you think about Kellen Mond's performance? Kellen Mond had some issues. And I think that's one thing the NFL teams should be very aware of is that Kellen Mond is not going to step in day one and be this phenomenal quarterback for you. But there is definitely potential there with Mond. Arm strength is incredibly there. There's so much talent. There's so much zip on passes. He's a very physical, mobile runner. Uh, Whenever I did my draft profile on him, I compared him to Mitchell Trubisky. And I think a lot of people will hear Trubisky and kind of, you know, scoff at it. But there's a lot to like with Trubisky as well. And just because there's inconsistency in his game – and there's some, you know, head scratching moments. Doesn't mean he's not a starting QB that could potentially develop into more. Trubisky had some good moments and had some times where you're looking at him and you're saying he might be a QB that could start. And he's still very much in play to be a starting quarterback next year. So a guy like Kellen Mond, yes, there's issues. There's some things that need to be worked out. But if we're looking at a guy that's a mid round quarterback that is going to pay off and be a star in the league, I think that would be who I bet my money on. So it's interesting to note here that the last six senior ball MVPs have all been quarterbacks, three of which New York Giants draft picks. So 2016, Dak Prescott from Mississippi State, 2017, Davis Webb, California, Kyle Aletta in 2018 from Richmond, Daniel Jones 2019 from Duke, Justin Herbert 2020 from Oregon, uh, now Kellen Mond, I think Herbert – Easily the, the best quarterback MVP, uh, probably in the senior bowl since Philip Rivers in 2004, uh, and probably the best uh, MVP in the senior bowl since D. Ford. As overall philosophy here, Michael, what positions are better to draft the underclassmen and what positions would be better to look for a senior? Ultimately, I think it varies entirely based on your team and what you think is needed. Uh, If you're willing to have some growing pains, I think underclassmen is better, but if you're willing to, if you're looking for someone that's going to immediately step in and you're looking for depth, I think adding in seniors is, is definitely huge. I think if I'm looking at it from 
you know, what position generally offers the best guys. Obviously, you know, specialists are generally all seniors, so there's that. But looking at it from the other positions, I think safeties and defensive linemen are generally best right away coming out the gates as as seniors rather than uh, having that year before. So guys that are, you know, five techs like Golson, Odigzua, and kind of the run stuffers that have now learned four years of disciplined play and really get to showcase that seem to be better than a lot of the younger options that maybe are still a little undeveloped or undisciplined in their play. Well, we'll see where the teams go. And obviously the Jaguars, they got a lot of draft picks, a lot of cap room. The first pick in the draft, uh, the draft really starts at number two with the Jets, but Michael, what, what should be the blueprint here for Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars as, as they head towards being off the clock to run to the, po- the virtual podium to take Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, absolutely. And I've talked about it on the stream, but I think the Jaguars are very much in play to make playoffs this year. I think with the talent and the money that they have, there's very much a chance that they could go into this offseason and do well enough to where they could – really come out of it as a playoff team. Uh, obviously, QB is the big need, but there's some questions at receiver. There's some questions on the offensive line, and there's a lot of defensive needs to really address this offseason. So let's dive into it. With about $71 million in cap, though, they are going to have opportunities to pay some big players. But I think the big thing is to not overstep and just throw money when you can and just try to get smart contracts. So we're going to first go into their mock draft. First pick, we got Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. This is the no-brainer pick of the draft. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence is the best QB in this class, as far as prospects go, at least. And most likely, when it's all said and done, he'll be viewed as the best one still. Trevor Lawrence has a lot of zap, a lot of zip on his passes. He's going to be huge for this team's success. Any head coach that came into the Jaguars was most likely going to pay off because it's just easy to win when you have such a talented QB. And Trevor Lawrence is that. With the next first-round pick, I have them picking Dylan Radins, the offensive tackle out of North Dakota State. There is very clearly so much to offer in his game. Whether you're putting him at left tackle or right tackle, he can move around, he's fast, he's nimble, and he just needs to add some weight, and then you can be very comfortable with what he can do. He would be stepping in at left tackle for the Jaguars, replacing Cam Robinson, but I think it would be absolutely phenomenal for them. With the second round pick, first pick of the second round, Trevon Morig, the free safety out of TCU, would be huge for the Jaguars and what they need to do. Their safety play was rough last year with Josh Jones ended up starting a strong safety. I think Andrew Wingard was their free safety starter. So there were a lot of issues in the secondary, and they definitely will need to address that. And I think, you know, you want to get some young talent in the secondary, but you also want to get some veterans. So we'll look at their lineup later, and they're definitely going to add some other pieces. But with that next pick, you're looking at a slot corner and Aaron Robinson out of Central Florida. Having Trayvon Morig and Aaron Robinson added to the secondary makes you very much a lot more competitive in the secondary. There's so many guys in this unit that just are middling players. So adding young talent, getting potential there, you have a chance to evaluate, and you have a chance at huge hits. And I think that'd be absolutely phenomenal for them. Third round, we got Brett Breven Jordan, the tight end out of Miami, Florida. 
I don't know if he lasts this long, but Breven Jordan is one of my favorite prospects in this class. I think he's absolutely underrated. Jaguars have been looking for a tight end for quite some time. They have missed out in the free agency market. They've missed out in many drafts. But I think this year they go and get Breven Jordan or another talented option, and they could easily have a great weapon. With Trevor Lawrence, you want to have a strong tight end to really kind of be a blanket. And I think Breven Jordan and Trevor Lawrence coming in together could be a phenomenal duo that we talk about for many years to come. We go into day three, and the Jaguars start things off right away, drafting Cornell Powell, the wide receiver out of Clemson. Trevor Lawrence and Cornell Powell had a phenomenal chemistry this year. I think right now the Jaguars wide receiver group is a little underrated. You're looking at DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Colin Johnson all had great years, so I don't think receiver is as big of a need. Adding in a fourth option like Cornell Powell, I think would be really completing this unit and making this group a lot better as it is and helping really solidify what is the Jaguars' offensive weapons for the season. With that next fourth-round pick, I have them taking Rodarius Williams, the cornerback out of Oklahoma State, get a physical outside guy. Like I said, I think they'll go to free agency for a lot of the secondary, so Rodarius Williams isn't expected to be the starter. He is more of a depth option, but he offers enough upside. He offers enough play strength to where if things get going right away for him, he can step in and really potentially be a fine starting QB. The Jaguars, the secondary was the big issue, and I think getting production out of their pass rush was huge as well, although they have talent at the pass rush position. So getting talent at the cornerback position, safety position, is huge for them, and Rodarius Williams is another great add. In the fifth round, I have them picking Kylan Hill, running back out of Mississippi State. This last year was kind of a weird time for Kylan Hill because he was in Mike Leach offense that doesn't hand off. So he was just completely stuck receiving. I love James Robinson. He was arguably the best rookie running back in this draft, but I think you want to get another guy to really help out this backfield and Kylan Hill in the fifth round or a day three option that they like, I think is the best option for that. Kylan Hill is very well-rounded. He's a physical runner, makes smart reads. He can catch, he can run. He can block if you need him to. So look for Kylan Hill or some other day three guy to be a great add for the Jaguars and really help this offense in terms of adding more presence in the run game. With that sixth round pick, I have them going William Bradley King. While we look at sixth round picks, seventh round picks as these throwaway picks, don't be so naive to think that these guys can't contribute. William Bradley King isn't going to be a starter. I don't think anyone should expect that out of him right away, at least. But there's definitely still very much some talent that he can bring. And with this new Raven scheme defense, having a guy that is a physical edge rusher like Bradley King is absolutely huge for them. And with Allen and Chase on, I think they're set at edge. But Bradley King being able to rotate in there and get some snaps would be huge. And then for the last pick, I have them going Carson Green, offensive lineman out of Texas A&M. He played tackle at Texas A&M, but I think a lot of people are talking about him as a guard. Bringing in that depth, bringing in that potential, and you know if things pan out and he somehow explodes, you can look at him to potentially replace whether it's Jawan Taylor or A.J. Can on the right side if either struggles continue. But I think ultimately you got to give both those guys another year. So this is what I have for the mock draft. 
And now we take a look at it from a roster perspective with some free agency ads. Jaguars offense. Here we are, QB, Trevor Lawrence, running back James Robinson with Kylan Hill behind them. And in the receiver group, we got DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Colin Johnson, and with Cornell Powell behind them. The tight end position, we got Breven Jordan. And then this offensive line, we got Raidens, Norwell, uh, Brandon Linder at center. Sorry, I forgot to change the text on that. AJ Can at right guard and right tackle Juwan Taylor. Yes, the offensive line could still have some question marks. That right side is very much in a prove-it year, but this is huge for the Jaguars to really kind of get some talent on this line. Cam Robinson struggled for as long as he did. He's now a free agent. I think it's time they let him go. They bring in Dylan Radins, and I think this offensive line gets going. Brian, as someone who has kind of shared a similar opinion on the Jaguars as me is that they have a lot of upside. It just depends on how they go about this offseason. What do you think is their approach to trying to make sure that they both, A, win this offseason, B, can be competitive next year, but C, also don't overspend and just completely blow all their chances of building the team in the future? The last thing. Yeah, before you, I, I, yeah, the last thing, because they have enough talent on both sides of the ball, because there's a lot of guys on defense too that are really good, that in the next two, three, four seasons, just that core might be enough to get them to compete. But what they can't do is lose all the salary cap flexibility that they're going to have because they went after all of it too soon. So I guess the thing I would say is they have to actually have patience and be willing to sort of let Urban install his offense and sort of do his thing and be willing to accept that the very first season, just because you have Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence, isn't going to wind up being maybe nine wins or ten wins, especially in a pretty competitive division. So they just need to get better incrementally and keep their flexibility. And in the next two years, I mean, obviously they're not going to get all of these guys that you just said, but if they add a tight end and a little bit on the offensive line, and then obviously on defense too, like they're not that many pieces away because they have like, they have a bunch of guys in the last two seasons that have come out and probably been pretty pleasant surprises. Absolutely. And we look at things from a defensive perspective. This is where I think they should invest a little bit. You don't have to blow all 71 million of your cap, but I do think that you need to come out and get some solid pieces that can help a be a veteran presence for your entire team that can help both the growth of some of the other young pieces on the team and B really help you contend and compete in games right away. So looking at it on the defense side of thing, Nick, maybe close your eyes because I have him getting Leonard Williams on the defensive line, a dominant 3-4 defensive end that I think would be huge for what should be a 3-4 scheme. The Ravens' defense is built on this 3-4, and I think it's huge that they get a presence on the defensive line. Davon Hamilton, Doug Costin have really surprised as rookies. But for that next guy, I think they should go out and get someone on free agency, whether it's Leonard Williams or whether it's another option. Getting a presence on the defensive line is huge. The edge rushing position, we talk about Josh Allen, Caleb Von Chase on. Working in a 3-4, I think it absolutely plays their strengths. And this is just huge for the Jaguars to find success is to maximize playing to your players' skill sets. And doing that, you have these guys that are very athletic edge rushers working in the stand-up and really being able to play to their strengths. At linebacker, we got Joe Sherbert and Miles Jack, two very strong linebackers. Adding in guys like Joe Giles-Harris is huge, but 
you know, this, these two are going to be key for how well this defense plays. And then at the cornerback position, we got some more investing going on. C.J. Henderson is obviously your first-round pick from last year, whether he's cornerback one or cornerback two. Really doesn't matter. It's just whether or not you can get talent around him. We already have Aaron Robinson there, but the investment is William Jackson the third. I think he's a very solid corner, whether you need him as your cornerback one and let C.J. Henderson grow or whether C.J. Henderson has stepped up enough to be the cornerback one and you have Jackson as your cornerback two. I think it can work wonders for your defense. He's very underrated. I think as long as he stays healthy, William Jackson is a very solid starter to have. So for this Jacksonville team that needs secondary help as badly as they do, a veteran presence that still has many years left to give in the NFL would be huge. And then a strong safety, you know, try to get a dependable, consistent, solid player. I didn't want to go back into the draft because you already have Morg as your rookie safety. So instead of double dipping in the safety department, I went with Theron Harmon, who I think is the epitome of consistency in the NFL at the safety position. Well, they need to play free safety, strong safety, drop down and play some slot coverage, blitz the passer. He's very consistent, very solid. And I think that making this work where you bring in free agents, but you aren't breaking the bank, you aren't spending all your money is absolutely huge. You're looking at Leonard Williams. You're probably going to pay a a pretty solid chunk of money for Williams and Jackson, but you're not going to lose more than half your space. I don't think so. I think right now the Jaguars have so much talent, but they also need to invest. This is the way they maximize that talent. And I think with this draft and with these pieces that they've added, it really limits the weak spots of this team. And it may be a hot take, but I, I really do think that with a strong offseason, the Jaguars could be looking at playoffs in year one of the Trevor Lawrence era. Yeah, that's a great statement. I don't think anybody should take that crazily. You don't, you don't know who's going to be the Texans quarterback. You don't know who's going to be the quarterback for the Colts. And the Titans are, I think they're really maxed out at like a 9-10 to 10 win team. So, you know, this division is for the taking. Uh, Leonard Williams, I think – you got to be careful with because he's going to get a big contract. He had a good year, but that was really his first good year. So I don't know. You got to be careful. But if you have a lot of cap space, I guess you can go ahead and do it. But this defense is going to be led by the captain, Miles Jack, who was a great college running back as well, but really one of the best inside linebackers in the league, Michael. Yeah, I think there is still a lot left for Jack to grow in his game, but he's definitely proven to be a solid player. I think working as an athletic inside linebacker in a scheme that kind of allows you to be as rangy as you are is huge for him. Let him really open up his athleticism. This Jaguars defense had a very solid amount of young talent, but there were just so many places where there just wasn't an answer. So this offseason is all about getting answers for those spots that you don't have, it, even if it's the wrong answer. And you come into next year or this offseason that is next, and you say, okay, these guys aren't working out. You still, like Brian said, have this young team that if if they aren't good year one, that's fine because you know you have Trevor Lawrence who's going to be a star. You have so many young offensive weapons. The offensive line still needs developed. There's some young talents like Josh Allen on the defense. Davon Hamilton, Doug Costin put together phenomenal rookie years. There's so much time that the Jaguars – can really make the most of the situation because with this young talent, if you bring in young, talented veterans or even older, talented veterans, 
you have the money to spend to where this young talent is playing at a starting level and this older talent can come in and make this team a contender, probably not year one, but in that year two, year three, year four window of Trevor Lawrence, this team is going to be scary. And it really just comes down to how well the Jaguars manage that. That is all we have for you today on Destination Draft Day. Thank you so much to everyone in the comment section and all the fans watching. Thank you so much to Nick, Brian, and LandryFootball.com for the opportunity for the show. Destination Draft Day, it's a long road, but we'll get you there. Pro football, college football, NFL draft coverage, we got you covered. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you on Friday. Peace. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply